When I woke up this morning, I was feeling pretty dangerous. All right, yeah, our roster looks great on paper. Whoop the hell. All right. But at the end of the day, we better be a good team. And you start building that during this time of the year. Get your sorry ass up. Get your sorry ass up. Doing a lot of talking with somebody that ain't do shit today. Doing a lot of talking. Do you think you're better than Jarrell Revis is right now? I'm better than you. My 24 years of life, I'm better at life than you. I ain't never seen, I ain't never seen you before, huh? Man, go tell the coach you need some help. We gonna expose you, boy. All right, we coming at your ass. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Roundtable. Let's go! Let's go! What's going on, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Football Roundtable Podcast, proud members of the Full-Time Fantasy Podcast Network. You can find them at FTFPodNet on Twitter. You can find me, your host for the evening, Mr. Matthew Birding, at SportsFanaticMB on Twitter. Uh, We've got a bunch of great podcasts that are associated with this network, some of which Jim Day of FF Champs, Bob Lung of The Consistency Show, and The Consistency God is Long or as well as the creator of the Midwest Fantasy Expo. You can find all of us on fulltimefantasy.com. We are also par- proud to be partnering with expandtheboxscore.com. Uh, they have some of the best college and NFL stats in the business. Definitely check them out if you want to get a jump start on this year's rookie class. You can use our code ROUNDTABLE for 10% off of that. It is just $15 a year. That is a steal of a deal, if I do say so myself. We have a great episode for you guys today. Uh, Mr. Matthew Fox is not with us, but Dennis, and we've got a special guest sitting by as well, Mr. John Lobb. You can follow him at GridironScholar91 on Twitter, Scholar C-S-C-H-O-L-9-1. My goodness, am I butchering that? He is going to jump on with us, and we're going to talk about the draft prospects and some Debbie talk as well. They're both sitting by right now, so let's jump them on here and let's start the podcast. Hello! And as I mentioned, we've got a special guest joining us today. You can follow him at Gridiron Scholar ninety one C. Oh man, I just messed this up. S C H O L ninety one. American Patriot, the Gridiron Scholar, he does a ton of great breakdowns of prospects for the the D- Dynasty draft room. Is that correct, Dennis? Did I just mess that up again too? Yep. Nope. And they're on YouTube. I watch them on YouTube, so I, I kind of mess up the Dynasty draft room. But he's a part of the FSWA. He does all kinds of great stuff. I'm telling you, if you follow him on Twitter, I love watching his breakdowns and everything. He actually just recently had two guys that I'm also big fans of, and Chris Stoops and Ricky Valero helping him do ranks with fan tracks I saw, which is really awesome. John, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back, man. I love to talk Dynasty, NFL Draft, Debbie. I just love talking football. And what an amazing opportunity that we can talk about at this time of the year and maybe distract from all of the things that are going on in the world today. Yeah, I feel like we all need a distraction. And as you guys just heard there, and I I reference because I tend to mess up and rely on him more than I probably need to, and that is uh, Dennis is back with us. You can follow him at culture underscore coach on Twitter as well. Dennis, how you doing on this beautiful Monday? You know what? I'm doing pretty fantastic. I'm about halfway through a startup draft that I swore I wouldn't wouldn't join, and uh, I just joined a <laughs> just joined a salary cap league that I swore I wouldn't join. Ooh, so you know, it's a, a typical off season. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Salary cap league on MFL? Yeah. Dom the the commissioner. 
Yeah, are you in that one? Yeah, I joined it. I was the last person to join in that one as well. As I've been saying the same thing, no more leagues for me, and we end up both in the same league. Interesting, yeah. Really sucks. (laughs) Well, my thought was this, is like I've wanted to play, you know, Salary Cap has been one of the leagues that I'm like, hey, I'd I'd like to. Well, the first year it's going to be free, and I thought, all right, well, I can handle I can handle going to school for free. Right. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> I've been offered, and I'll only do mock drafts because I get so bombarded. Last year, I ran 35 leagues, at teams, and I cannot do it again. I have to figure out a balance. Yeah. yeah I had 22 teams last year, and. This will put me at about thirteen, so I, I'm I'm in good shape. I've been I've been pretty strong about not joining leagues, and I've had some great offers. There's a, so many fantastic people in the industry. When they're when they're forming leagues, you're like, oh man, I'd love to be in the league with that guy. And I'm like, no, I just I gotta just gotta. And typically, I don't play in free leagues. I like to have you know at least five bucks in the game or something. Yeah. But in this case, to learn, I'm like, okay, I, I'll go free for a year, and then we'll make it a money league after I get some experience. So, yeah, I'm I'm right there with you, John. I was in a 38 last year, and I cut down. The <laughs> only reason I cut down is because a bunch of leagues folded because of everything going on, and I think I'm down to 25 now. And then adding this one, May 26. Although I am a little bit nervous because I saw that the uh, the auction has started, and I haven't even looked at anything yet. So I'm hoping. None of my guys are going to get too bit up too quickly. But, uh, John, well, we, the bylaws are only 13 pages. So, oh, great. Even better because I haven't looked at any of those yet either. <laughs> we, uh, typically when we bring a guest on, we like to get to know a little bit about them. Obviously, we've had you on before, but in case we've gotten any new listeners and didn't hear the last episode, as it was in about case. a year ago. Well, I mean, like in case they haven't heard this episode, you know, who knows? They may have listened to the old one. I think it was about a year ago that we had you on. Uh, so tell us about, uh, your favorite team. You have a favorite player and how did you get into the fantasy industry okay so my favorite team is the Denver Broncos and um my favorite so I have two and I know that's not really answering but I grew up as a kid and I loved Randy Gratishar oh my god man I fell in love with the Broncos in 1977 the orange crush defense I can almost name the starting 11 still I had a 53 jersey for Randy Gratishar as a kid. I had his a poster up in my bedroom. I still can't believe he's not in the Hall of Fame. Just one of the – it is a shame. I loved him. And then I got so lucky. I was in high school, and Denver Broncos drafted or traded for John Elway. I mean, it just – Man, I, I cannot even tell you the. I probably saw Elway quarterback what 120 games in my lifetime. I mean, the Super Bowls, the playoffs, the big regular season wins. Absolutely love John Elway. You know, look at. I understand it was Terrell Davis and that defense finally got him over the hump. But when you look at the totality of Elway's career, I'm biased. I still think he's in that small pantheon of the three greatest quarterbacks in my lifetime. You know, we can debate who those are, but to me, he's in there. So absolutely. And and now, because I've been talking, what was your, oh, fantasy football, the question. <clears throat> so I've been playing, this will be my 33rd year, I think. Um, I My first year was 1989. So however many years that comes out to be now, I haven't actually thought about it yet. Um, I've been working with the football diehards for, I believe, 
28 years now. Um, in 1993, I won $10,000 in a salary cap style game where I competed against 15 other um, players. And I won at the end. It was a 18-game season. In that year, they each had two bye weeks. Um, and I had the most points scored. It was stupendous. It was fun. It was done by telephone and facts. So think about that. The internet didn't even exist when I won in 1993. Um, I had my own newsletter for four years. And when I decided that I had an opportunity for a different job, I stopped the newsletter and I ended up working for footballdiehards.com. And for the last seven years, I've been publishing my draft profiles with um, footballdiehards.com. Well, that's awesome. Uh, Emil's coming up uh, next Monday. He's going to be on the show. Oh, he is excellent. That's amazing. And we're going to talk a little fantasy nation. And uh, I know he just started that up last year. I, I was going to rank for, for him and I just got too far in the weeds. I, I, I wasn't comfortable with where I was when the season kicked off. And, and so I, I kind of had to step back from that. So I'm looking forward to getting on there this year though. Yeah, I kind of had a similar. He asked me about week three or four, and I did it for one or two weeks. But the problem is I had made so many commitments before that. And, you know, I'm a full-time teacher, so it was very hard for me. And I just had to take a chance to step back from it. I'm, it's one of those things I'm considering doing it this year. It will just depend on time and how much I have on my plate. You mentioned Elway is one of the three uh, best quarterbacks of your generation. Who are the other two? Uh, I will put Steve Young in there, and I would have to put Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. So I guess it's four. Those okay. would be my four. I think Steve Young is, is that most... Is that new math, John? <laughs> ah, that is new math. Welcome to the new math. Um, you're right. So it's very hard because I – I can't take Steve Young out. I think he's the most underappreciated super quarterback. So I, I guess it's three plus one. How's that? It works for me. Hey, I like it. I mean, I'd take Tom Brady out and probably slide Baker Mayfield in there myself. But, I mean, I, who, who's <laughs> worried about it? He's going to win seven rings here eventually. So, no, I like it. It's 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 a great list. I, a huge fan of Elway. I wish uh, Matthew Fox could have been on with us. He's an, uh, one of the guys who does this show with us very uh, frequently uh, on the Monday shows, and he's a huge Broncos fan as well. So he would he he's going to love to hear all this stuff because I know he's going to listen to the episode. Uh, one last question before we jump into talking about the prospects and everything. Uh, since you do so much Debbie work, do you have a favorite college team that you like to root for? Um, so, again, I have to answer this in as kind of a two-step. So, I grew up as a Michigan Wolverines fan. Oh, um, man. My I'm sorry. John. I'm sorry. Well, First my... Denver, now Michigan? <laughs> <laughs> you might end this podcast in any moment. Hello? Um, Hello? Or do I still have you guys? Dennis, I hear you. John. John, did you drop out? Are you still here? I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. Can you hear me? We can. We can, unfortunately. Uh, uh, but go ahead. Continue. Uh, uh, so um, my dad is from Detroit, and um, so I grew up, you know, my grandparents still, they lived there until the rest of their souls, they passed away. And in the, in the 70s and 80s, the only, there were two games every Saturday. You'd have like the one o'clock game and the four o'clock game. And it was always Michigan and Ohio State, and then it would usually be like USC, UCLA, and, and obviously Notre Dame would be sprinkled around there depending on when they were playing. So I grew up as a Michigan fan, loved the Wolverines, suffered bowl loss after bowl loss after bowl loss, loved Bo Schembechler. But about 
10 or 11 years ago, UConn stepped up into Division I football. I'll never forget when the Huskies beat Notre Dame on a Saturday night. I was at the bar with two of my best friends. We were having a blast. And after they beat that game, we decided that we were going to get season tickets to the UConn Huskies. So for the last nine years, I've owned season tickets to the UConn Huskies. So I'm now a Huskies fan, but I do, if I'm not, on the road at UConn, or not watching a home game at UConn, I will be watching Michigan Wolverines. All right, fair enough, fair enough. That's uh, <laughs> you know, it, it is what it is. That team up north, they're going to win some games against the Buckeyes here eventually, I'm sure. Maybe at least in the next couple decades. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't think, oh, man, with Harbaugh there, I'm not so sure. <laughs> we'll find out, man. Yeah, it's a. What, what do you think they're going to. Is this his year? Because I feel like it should have been his year, like last year on the hot seat, and maybe it was the win against Notre Dame, and then kind of the way they went into the back half of the season. Is this it? Is this finally the year that he's on the hot seat with Michigan? He should be on the hot seat. And I'll tell you the main reason, in my opinion, and this is from an outsider's perspective, he is not willing to adapt to the new game of college football. And I have a college fantasy football podcast that I do in all last summer. I kept talking about LSU and hiring this new young kid, Joe Brady, to come in and upgrade the talent and the passing game. Finally, we saw a perfect, you know, synthesis of talent with offensive scheme. And look at what the Tigers did. 15-0, won the national championship. One of the greatest offensive performances in the history of college football. Until Harbaugh decides that he's going to stop running the fullback up the middle on third and four. If I see one more fullback dive in the year 2020, (laughs) I am going to, I, I mean, there's no words in the aggravation. I get understanding being physical, but look at the Baltimore Ravens are physical, nasty, mean, but they are innovative. They are, you know, they they let Lamar Jackson be an athlete. Look at what LSU did. As long as Harbaugh is stubborn and will not upgrade that offensive scheme, he deserves to get fired at the end of this season. There is no reason that a school with that type of history does not play a modern NFL game or college game. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, I would say I'm, um, I agree with you, but I would be lying if I said it upset me that he does so many fullback dives and everything. I love it. It's just, uh, I, I really do <laughs> you love, love it. You love the fullback dive as a Buckeye. You're like, Come on, <laughs> absolutely. <baby." laughs> absolutely. All right. Well, this is a perfect transition. You just talked about the way that uh, LSU kind of revamped their offense and everything they did with Joe Brady and Joe Burrow last year. Joe Burrow is considered the number one prospect for the Bengals right now, the top QB in this class. But I want to ask you, as someone who's been studying these guys for years, and I know this is kind of a hard question to ask because you have to factor in the injuries with Tua, but if Tua had never suffered that hip injury and finished the season strong, in your opinion, would he be in talks, or do you think he'd be the lock for number one, or would it still be Burrow coming off the I would say, historic year that he had last year with LSU? That's a great question. I've actually been asked that question a couple of times and I've given the same answer. If Tua was 100% healthy, he's my number one quarterback. His resume would be more complete over a longer period of time 
And I would have more, I've watched more film, younger breakout age, just stupendous past two seasons. I think Tua is the better gifted quarterback. He's a tremendous leader. His pinpoint accuracy. He's intelligent. He's charismatic. He can throw the football. I mean, his delivery. Oh my God. It is so beautiful how he throws the football. He is almost, you can make a video of how to throw the football with Tua, but because of the injuries, because this, especially this hip industry injury is so unique. I have to drop him below Burrow at this point. But if he was 100% healthy, two is my number one guy. All right. And so how much, okay. how much does Burrow being kind of a one-year wonder, though, how much closer does it make the two, even with uh, Tua's hip injury, or does Burrow's one-year wonder to his hip bring them both back closer to, say, someone like Herbert? Oh, so I – so I personally think Burrow and Tua are in a higher sphere than Herbert. They're in a different bucket to me. While I like Herbert, I think he has the lowest floor and the biggest risk. I think Burrow and Tua are very, they're great prospects, similar to Wentz and, um, oh my God, who came out with the draft class with Carson Wentz? Um, Goff. I, even though Goff, you know, hey, we can argue if Goff is great or not, but he got the Rams to the Super Bowl. He turned around the franchise. I do think he's a little bit system-oriented, and he has his weakness. But I think Burrow and Tua, Tua are very close to Goff and Wentz. I love Burrow, but there is a floor on a one-year wonder and an old breakout. But I'll say this. Maybe at Ohio State, they value different traits in their quarterback. And Burrow didn't have the traits of the quarterback that the coaching staff was looking for. Also, sometimes in order for a, a human being to reach their ceiling, sometimes they need to go through a little adversity. Maybe Burrow benefited so much by having not to losing the position to Dwayne Haskins then transferring to LSU, that might have been the, you know, the trigger to get this young man to become the player that he is today. Okay. I, I guess I can see that. I don't know. I, I get a little concerned because, like, I'm not sure what traits Burrow didn't have. I think he was a better athlete than uh, Haskins is. I, it looks like it on film. I'll say that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he seems to have as good an arm. I mean, Haskins has a pretty good arm. Burrow seems to have a, a pretty good arm. So, uh, you know, I, I think between the ears, they're probably pretty close. So I guess I, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe I maybe he just is just a late bloomer. And that that's that. Yeah. I mean, I wish this is the weird hardest part about being the you know, I'm on the outside. Right. I don't know what the Ohio State coaching staff was looking for, and I wasn't privy to all of the off-season meetings or what he did on the field. I can only judge what they've done, and I definitely have Burrow a higher-ranked prospect this year than I had Haskins last year, 
And I like Haskins. I still think he has potential to be good quarterback. I think obviously, you know, last year was not a positive situation, but let's see what he does moving forward. But I don't know what happened to Ohio State behind closed doors. The only thing I know is Ohio State gave the job to Haskins and Burrow left. Why? That's up, you know, something happened that I don't know. Because the film says Burrow's great. Well, didn't some of the injury history, though, with Burrow play into that? Because I think he got hurt that early spring, and that's really kind of what pole vaulted uh, Haskins above him and really ended up causing him to win that job. And then Burrow ended up uh, transferring to LSU. Yeah, because I believe they went into the spring, right? Haskins and him were about even because they, I think, was it JT Barrett had left, right? Yeah, Barrett Barrett was the one who left. Yeah, Barrett leaves the program. And I remember reading about Ohio State, who's the next quarterback? And it was kind of Burrow and Haskins were, you know, fighting for the position. And then you're right, Burrow got a little hurt. So Haskins jumped in, made the most of his opportunity, won the job. Uh, so how would you rank the rest of the quarterbacks in this class, knowing that you've got uh, Burrow one and then two a second? Where do the rest of them go? So I still have a first-round grade on Justin Herbert. Don't get me wrong, I and he's my third-ranked quarterback. I absolutely see the ceiling here. I understand why an NFL team might have Herbert at the top of their board. Six foot six, 237 pounds. So he's got impressive tools and idyllic size. The quick release, the arm strength, the athletic ability. I don't think people actually give Herbert enough credit for how good of an athlete he is. So this year to my prospect profiles, I added a new grade and I'm calling it escapability score. What that is, is the ability for the prospect to avoid pass rushers, keep their eyes down the field and complete the pass or and or gain a first down with their legs. Justin Herbert earned a B-plus in my escapability score. He is a very good athlete. As an example, the um, Rose Bowl when he scored three rushing touchdowns against Wisconsin. Now, the challenge with Herbert, I think I put him on a spectrum. Is he Blake Bortles or Carson Wentz? I think both outcomes are possible in his career. Obviously, I'm hoping that it's Carson Wentz, but I have to say there's a chance that he's Blake Bortles. Number four, I love him. I'm very high on him. He's finally, the train is starting to pick up steam. People are watching the film. They're understanding what this young man does. I have been on this train since December. Jalen Hurts is my number four guy. Wow. Okay. I want dynamic athletes at the quarterback position. I no longer want Eli Mannings. I no longer want Joe Flacco's. I don't want Drew Bledsoe's. I grew up in the age of the pocket passer who could not move from Dan Fouts to Vinny Testaverde to Dan Marino. To Jubilee, I saw them all. And I loved Eli Manning. Even loved, obviously, Peyton Manning. <clears throat> it is a modern game. I've got to have a quarterback who can run the football 
and gain a first down with his legs. The defensive ends, the linebackers, they are so fast. They're so good. The defensive coordinators are so incredible. I have to have a quarterback who is elusive in the pocket. Jalen Hurts checks every box for me. One, he has played for Nick Saban, arguably the greatest coach in the history of college football, and Lincoln Riley, the most possibly the most innovative offensive coordinator and offensive guru of the past decade. The young man, uh, everything you read, he is an incredible leader. You cannot find a negative statement from his coaches or his teammates about the young man as far as his leadership skills. I love the fact that the young man lost his job to Tua. He helped Tua. He didn't complain. He didn't pout. He made a decision a business decision to leave Alabama and play football for Oklahoma. If you like Baker Mayfield and if you liked Kyler Murray coming out of Oklahoma in Lincoln Riley's system, I do not understand how you do not like Jalen Hurts. He hits every statistical benchmark that I look for in a quarterback. Games played, passing efficiency, completion percentage, yards per attempt, touchdown to interception ratio. I'm going to give you three stats that blows my mind away. He averaged 9.1 yards attempt. He throws the ball down the field. And I understand that he benefited from some yak yards with Oklahoma. But he also played at Alabama, and he was a freshman when he won freshman and offensive player of the year. You have an immediate breakout and a young kid who throws the ball down the field. His touchdown to interception ratio, 80 career touchdowns, only 20 interceptions. That is absolutely phenomenal. Career rushing yards, three 1,274. That's right, folks. 3,274 career rushing yards. His escapability score is an A+. I love this young man. I have a second-round grade. I hear rumors he's sneaking into the first. We'll find out, but Jalen Hurts is my number four. And then Jordan Love is my number five. And Jake Fromm is my number six. You don't have any concerns about uh, Hertz. He seems to sometimes take a long time to process what's happening. You don't think he kind of benefited from being on those superior teams that uh, allowed that to be covered up? Well, I mean, there's so I I try when I watch film and I I, I well, I'll say this: processing is difficult because sometimes the system may dictate that you go to three or four. Now, I will say this. I don't see a great anticipatory passer. That's why I have a second round grade on him. But what I will say, why I think I, I will say there are other benefits. What I see is a young man who can learn. And I'm an educator. And I want people, students, adults, 
football players who can learn. Everything that I see in Jalen Hurts' resume, he is an intellectual young man who can learn new information. And he has continually showed me growth as a quarterback and as an individual. To me, that will trump any shortcomings of processing. When I look back at guys like Tim Couch, Akili Smith, guys who failed, one thing that I see in their background or one thing I saw in their film was the inability to learn information at the NFL level. Well, you're preaching to the choir on Justin Herbert. I, I actually, I, as Dennis knows, I love that kid. I've got him actually ahead of Tua right now because the injuries worry me so much with the hip and the ankles. And I'm with you. I that's see this. Fair, that's a fair assessment. I, I think a team might like Herbert more. I do. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love him. So you're, I'm, I'm glad to have somebody else on this podcast that loves him. Although I know Dennis is a big fan of him as well, but a lot of people seem to be kind of trashing on him. We'll get to Hertz in a minute because he's obviously kind of the, I would say, probably most talked about guy here. He, he's definitely one side of the scale for everybody. I want to talk about Jordan Love really quick. You said you have him at five, and a lot of people, especially now with this Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay bet, saying that a lot of NFL teams love Jordan Love more than they do Herbert. Is there any kind of comparison to there? How close are those two for you in, in your draft analysis? I think there's a pretty big separation from Herbert to Jordan Love. And I was a huge Love guy last summer. I had Jordan Love pretty high in my Debbie rankings. Yeah. But I have, you know, I was excited about this young man. I mean, he was so good in 2018. He established five single season school passing records, touchdowns, passing yards, and 300 yard games. Now, there was such a drop-off in 2019, and I understand. I'm going to put it into context. Utah State lost their head coach, and he had nine teammates graduate or leave the program on offense. So I understand that this young man shouldered a tremendous amount. But when I watch film of both years, and I think anyone who analyzes him has to look at both seasons. I see the athletic ability and I see how the ceiling, I can say to myself, wow, this young man, if he puts everything together, he can lead a franchise in the NFL. However, I also see some really, really bad decisions from the pocket. And I I scratch my head. I think he relies on his arm I think he clearly relies on his deep throwing. I think he throws the ball up for grabs way too often. Also, we were just talking about Hurts. I think Jordan Love at times, he holds onto the ball too long and he takes too many hits and he gets sacked too often. So I am concerned about that. I have a second round grade in a perfect world. Jordan Love would be early second round like Andy Dalton and Derek Carr, and he would be able to sit an entire season like Patrick Mahomes and Carson Palmer. My biggest concern is a team that is a poorly structured organization and is desperate for a quarterback 
will draft this young man and throw him into the Lions immediately. That he needs time to become an NFL quarterback. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I think he's he's got all the talent, but he is definitely raw coming in. So you've got him and Hurts are, are round two, the other three guys round one. How many of those guys do you think go in round one? Because I think there's a realistic chance that four of them do. I think the only one who doesn't is Hurts. I, I would be surprised if he goes in round one, but I do think Love finds a way to get in there and possibly somebody else like an Eason type. Is, is there anybody else you think could sneak into round one or are those the only five guys you think will get drafted high? So I think there will be four. And I think there's – I agree with you completely. There might be five. Now, NFL teams are going to like Jake from more than I do. I have Jake Fromm as my number six quarterback in the rankings. Now, I was talking about how Jalen Hurts hits every benchmark for me. Jake Fromm does not hit very many of my benchmarks. So I have concerns. And when you talk about escapability score, I gave Jake Fromm a C. He is a classic pro-style quarterback. So I believe a team is going to grade him higher than I do. And I understand why. But I would not be banking my organization on Jake Fromm. I have questions about his ability to throw the deep ball. Hey, his ability to get the ball out of his hands on intermediate and short routes are incredible. But I do not think he can challenge a defense consistently deep down the field. But I do believe, without question, four players in the first round, maybe five. All right, so you're sitting there as the Miami Dolphins, day one. You got somehow only Joe Burrow goes to the Cincinnati Bengals, and then you get Chase Young, Okuda, Isaiah Simmons goes. You're sitting there at five. Tua, Herbert, Love, Hurts are all on the board. Who are you taking? Is it is it just simple as you're taking Tua, letting him redshirt one year and moving on, or is it a discussion to keep take her, uh, Herbert over him, or are you going to go Hurts? Uh, no, I'm going 100. Well, personally, what I would do is I'm going to draft a big boy on defense if Isaiah Simmons falls, and then I'm going to take Hurts with my last <laughs> pick of the first round because Miami has three picks. Yeah. And I would let Hurts sit for a year behind my boy, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Because I would love to see Hurts sit in the quarterback room every day with Ryan Fitzpatrick and learn the NFL game. But I understand if I wanted the quarterback there, I would take Tua. But I think Miami would be better off to get some chess pieces on defense where they, if you haven't noticed, folks, Miami's putting together one hell of a goddamn secondary. Wake yeah. up. Miami's going to be able to defend the pass. What do they need? Give me a pass rusher, a chess piece like Isaiah Simmons, boys. Boy, am I going to use that young man all over the field. That's what I would do. All right, so last question before we talk about some uh... – some Debbie quarterbacks, because I, I do want to get into the Debbie side of things. Uh, how many of these guys do you think can start day one, the 2020 season, and be somewhat successful? And which ones do you think are going to have to sit for maybe even just half a year? And we'll take two uh, medical side out of it. Just go based on what you've seen skill-wise. I imagine you think he's going to go. Uh, he would be able to start in day one. So take injuries out of it. Just who you think could start day one and be successful at the NFL level. Day one, Joe Burrow and Tua, to me, are 100% guaranteed NFL starters, intellectually, leadership-wise, athletic ability. Now, 
Herbert is going to be the fascinating one. I think he can start day one, but I think it's a little bit going to be on scheme and the offense in which he is placed in. I would not like him to be thrown to the Lions with a team like Jacksonville, who I think does not necessarily have the talent around him, even though I guess he could hand the ball off to Leonard Fournette. So maybe that would be, but I'm worried about the organization. I don't feel confident that Jacksonville knows how to develop a quarterback, but I think he could athletically. I don't think Jalen Hurts, Jordan Love, or Jake Fromm should be calling plays when the season kicks off in September. Would I be surprised if any of those young men are behind center because of the challenge that teams have? I would not be surprised. So, hey, John, so do, yeah. do you think that, you know, is there a Dak Prescott in this group, somebody that's going to be taken on, in, you know, in round four or five that isn't slated to be a starter, but something happens and they pop up and, and they end up being successful from the get-go? Or maybe even somebody like Gardner Minshew, who ended up having to start uh, when he was, I think, widely considered just a, a, you know, a career development guy. Is it? You, do you think there's anybody in this class that if I'm can going come to, in late? So if I'm going to take a long shot, like if I was an organization, let's say Dallas, right? Maybe they want to back up to to Prescott. Okay, let's say something like that. If I'm going to take a long shot in round five, six. I think Cole McDonald of Hawaii. My man. You know, <laughs> 6'3", 215. He, look, I think he's going to be a little dependent on the scheme. But there are a lot of things that I've seen in his game where I think it can, can transition to the NFL with the right parts around him and a patient, a patient coach who uses his skill set to the best of his ability. So if I was going to go a long shot, it would be someone like Cole McDonald. Hey, maybe he sits behind Kirk Cousins in Minnesota. That type of team who doesn't need him right away and could be patient and allow the young man to grow. Yeah, I, I like McDonald. I probably have him higher than most people that, that I've seen. You know, there's a doubt. There's I definitely there's questions about him. I mean, playing the run and shoot. I worry about the level of competition coming out of Hawaii. But I've seen enough of him to play, and the physical ability is there. I just think I hope he gets in a good situation. Now, if you throw him into day one and he has to start, I'd be really worried. I'm just uh, just spitballing here. Cole McDonald, maybe Pittsburgh Steelers think he could work out. Maybe as a replacement to Big Ben in the future. He, you know, hey, he, he's got to be. He's, I would say, he should be better than Ma Mason Rudolph, right? <laughs> and, and Duck Hodges. So you, that would be. Now, I think the Steelers need to invest in a Jalen Hurts or a Jordan Love or a Jake something. They've got to no, do something. Don't do that. No, J well, I shouldn't say Jalen Hurts because I'm <laughs> I'm not a necessarily a believer in Jalen Hurts. So I'll be okay with that. Why? Um, man, I'm just I'm trying to think of. How 
is Jalen Hurts closer to Lamar Jackson for you? I guess is the way I should put it. Because there's so many people who just don't see it with him. And I'm completely torn on what to think with Jalen Hurts. Because I've had so many people that I trust what they see and what they read with the analytics stuff. Like you, uh, there's a guy, I don't know if you know who Ray is, Ray Garvin uh, for DLF. He's been huge on on the Hurts bandwagon here for a while now. Me and Dennis both have him lower. I think we both have him right around 7 right now in this class. So what is it we're not seeing with Hurts that you guys are? Like what what is it that we're not grasping on why he's going to be good at the next level? Um, I So I have no doubt he's going to be good at the next level. Now, he's not as good of a prospect as Lamar Jackson. Um, but, man, he is really good. So I think what happened early in his career, a narrative developed around Jalen Hurts at Alabama. And I think what happens sometimes is once a narrative about a player is ingrained, it is very hard for people to get off that narrative. And I'll be I'll be honest, I did not have Jalen Hurts in the top five of my Debbie prospects a year ago. I mean, he I think I had him at like number eight or nine. But man, I watched this young man throughout the season. I watched him at least eight times this year year for the Sooners. And then I went back and broke down as much film as I could grab on 2016 as a freshman. And it opened my eyes to this young man as far as an NFL quarterback. And what I think has to happen, I am no longer thinking about my franchise quarterback for 13 years. I grew up, and I'm sure you guys did, where when you got a franchise quarterback, Peyton Manning, Eli Manning, John Elway, Dan Marino, that was a 15-year investment. I am now looking. The game is faster. The game is different. I need speed. I need athleticism. I'm looking for a seven-year window, just like Cam Newton. I think people don't understand. They were 1-15. and Before he came to Carolina, Cam Newton won MVP awards and got the Panthers to the Super Bowl. You're telling me right now, if the Miami Dolphins could have an MVP style quarterback and a Super Bowl appearance, that there is not one Dolphins fan who would not trade that off. You notice I didn't want to insult you as a Browns fan. So there's not one <laughs> Dolphins fan who wouldn't take a MVP award and a Super Bowl. I'm no longer looking. We have to change the paradigm. I'm looking at a five to seven year window of my quarterback. We're not going to have Phillip Rivers anymore. We're not going to have Eli Mannings anymore. Those quarterbacks are dinosaurs. I'm looking in the future, and I want my quarterback to be athletic and a playmaker. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to insult us Browns fans. I know Baker's winning no. the MVP and taking us to the Super Bowl in 2020 anyway, so I don't need to worry about I mean, Jalen Hurts. <laughs> well, honestly, like as a Browns fan, yeah. you want to take Baker Mayfield, MVP, Super Bowl, and then he's gone in three years, four years. Yeah, Would I'd, you take that? I'd sell the naming rights to my next child right now for that right now. I'd, I'd sign me up. Sign me up. Send the paperwork my way, and I'll sign up. All right, so well, go ahead. And that's 
the realm of possibility for Mayfield if the coaching gets right. Uh, don't get my hopes up, man. We, we've won the Super Bowl the past three off seasons. I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to keep a level head this year. I'm not trying to get too excited right now. All right, so you well, let's talk about some of the Debbie quarterbacks, and I want to stick right there in the state of Ohio because, in my opinion, he is the best quarterback in college, though I know some people are going to argue Trevor Lawrence. I have Justin Fields ahead of him, but give us your top five Debbie quarterbacks. Sure, so I, I guess I'm like consensus. I just think Trevor Lawrence is a special talent. I mean, every time – I liked him before, but, man, I keep having that vision – against Ohio State in the semifinals where he took off on the run and you saw the athleticism of a man who's 6'6", what, 235 pounds sprinting down the sideline and he gained distance from Ohio State defensive backs? Are you kidding me? I mean, how fast are the... You're killing me, John. You're (laughs) killing me. I was going to say, wait... Clemson and Ohio State played last year? When did this happen? I must have missed that game. I mean, I still, to this day, I can't believe he outran those guys in that touchdown. So he's my number one. Now, I love Sam Howell out of North Carolina. Yes, I'm with you. Oh, my. Man, can he spin the football. Now, he's not as good of an athlete as Lawrence, and I need to see if he can develop more pocket presence. But, man, when you're talking about a kid – who can sit in the pocket and just throw that football beautifully down the field. That is Sam Howell. Now, Justin Fields is my number three. I can understand Justin Fields is older than Howell. I understand why people have him ranked ahead. I'm a little bit worried about the Ohio State system. Mm-hmm. Not yet. Uh, not a lot of these kids have transferred yet to be real huge NFL quarterbacks. I want to see more of them. I'm open to making him my number two, but he's my number three. My number four, who I'm much more bullish on than other people, Sam Ellinger. Okay. How is this this guy not being talked about? Let me tell you some of these numbers. First, 6'3", 230. Unbelievable size. Now, over the last two years, he has passed for 6,955 yards, but I love this. He has rushed for 1,145, and he has totaled 80 touchdowns. Absolutely love his dual threat ability. To me, he's the modern NFL quarterback that I am looking for. He can beat you with his legs, and he can beat you with his arm. My number five is Brock Purdy out of Iowa State. I also love how that young man throws the football I think he has a tremendous career ahead of him. This is going to be a big season for Mr. Purdy for the Cyclones. I agree with you. That's that's my exact analysis on Brock Purdy. I know uh, a lot of people were kind of giving me, so I released mine for the Dynasty Nerds. The only difference is I have Jaden Daniels up there in five instead of Sam Ellinger, uh, but I have the same other players. Um, I love Brock Purdy, but I do think this is going to be a big year for him as well. It could go either way for him being, if he has a great year, the number three quarterback, in my opinion, right behind Lawrence and Fields. And if it goes bad, I I think he could easily drop down and have a a huge drop. What a... is it, so what is it with Ellinger then? Because for me, I, I, obviously I live here in Texas, so I see a lot of UT games, and I, I live with a lot of UT fans, and, and them themselves even say that they like Ellinger, but they think he's more of like a career backup. So is it just the offense? Because Texas, 
they look good at times, and they just have those games that they just look horrible. And it also, I think, translates to Ellinger looking horrible. So do you think it's the Texas offense? What is it about Ellinger that, in my opinion, kind of lacks the pop on screen? The stats look great, but when you watch the games, he doesn't always pop. Uh, that LSU game, he popped, but most of the time he doesn't pop on screen. I absolutely agree that he doesn't pop most of the time. And I just think Texas is outclassed at LSU, man. You got to look back. I mean, and I love, oh my God, I was so excited for that game. And because yeah, I had too. to be in the year, I thought Texas was going to be better than LSU. But looking back, I can't blame that young man for not popping against the Tigers. They went 15 and 0. They beat Alabama. They beat Clemson. They were just spectacular, right? So. I think sometimes we have this, we want everyone to be Trevor Lawrence right away. Trevor Lawrence is special. He's You don't see this type of young man accomplish what he has done this early. Sam Ellinger has taken a very nice gradual step forward. I think what happens is Longhorn fans have such high expectations they want Ellinger to be John Elway and Troy Aikman rolled into one and win a national title, okay? And if he doesn't do that, he's going to be a failure. I'm a Connecticut Yankee. I'm watching Sam Ellinger from the outside, long distance away. What I see is a young man who has the physical traits that I'm looking for in the modern NFL. The production model tells me he's very good. So, uh, look, it. this is a make-or-break year. He could uh, – look, he's 20-to-1 Heisman odds. So, William Hill Sportsbook thinks Ellinger's much better than Texas Longhorn fans. Now, I agree with you. I don't think that coaching staff and the team, the way it's put together, is the best team. Could Ellinger be doing this at Ohio State or Clemson? And could he be even better? I think he would. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I love that ad of uh, B. John Robinson for them this year. I do think he's going to be able to help. Uh, uh, I think he's going to end up beating out Keontae Ingram by at least midseason, and I think that could help out Sam Ellinger as well, having a actual viable running attack uh, to get take some of the pressure off of him. Uh, but what about uh, – there's one guy I want to ask you about because I was listening to yeah. – uh, to Chris Stoops and and Ricky Valero and and Stoops is really high on Keaton Slovis. I believe he said he had him ranked like three or four on his Debbie ranks that they com- they did with you on the Fan Tracks uh, website. What what are your yeah. thoughts on Keaton Slovis? Because I do think they have got a ton of talent around him at the wide receiver position. This could mm-hmm. be a huge year for him and USC with the step back of Oregon, Utah taking a step back. Like this could be their year to finally get back into the limelight there in the Pac-12. So I thought I was going to be the most bullish because I have him at number six. But our friend, Mr. Valero, put him at number two. So he's the only guy I've seen so far. Yeah, I mean, and I like Keaton Slovis a ton, ton. But there are two things in why I have him a little lower. One, he got the job because of injury. So he was actually third on the depth chart when the season kicked off. But he was a freshman. So I was very impressed by him. He was unbelievable. So that's a little bit like, why did the coaching staff not see it in him? Or is he a better gamer than he is a practice player? Was it they just didn't want to play a young kid? So I got to see that. Two, he has some concussion issues already. 
If you've been watching him play, and I stay up way too late on the East Coast, Keaton Slovis, I think he's had two concussions already between high school and college. And they actually had, um, I was reading something with his mother, where she goes to the games and is very worried about his getting hit in the head. So there is some things that I need, but as far as just absolutely spinning the ball and the talent, I have him at number six. Yeah, I, I have seen a couple games of Slovis, and, and I liked what I saw and was actually pretty surprised when I saw people's ranks and he was as low as he was. So it, it'll be interesting to see uh, if he holds on to the job this year and uh, uh, if the concussion issues become a, a long-term issue for him. Yeah, that's the one thing. And you know what I'll say about I look at other rankings, and I love them, and, and I think it's great to debate and argue. What I think happens is people take high school grades and they they keep those grades even as a young man progresses throughout college. And I don't really care too much about what they did in high school. I only care what I see in the game and on film at the college level. So sometimes my rankings are ba- I only base them on what I've seen not what some high school analyst said about them two or three years ago, if that right. makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Uh, so how about we transition on to uh, the, the running backs? Uh, we've, we've talked a lot about quarterbacks now. Uh, I, I tend to be a guy who, who loves running backs. I definitely have a style, uh, <laughs> a particular run. I like, I like, I like big running backs. I'm team big wide receiver. I'm, I'm team bigger running back, but that, and I don't know if that comes from being at Ohio state and having guys like, you know, Eddie George and Beanie Wells and Zeke Elliott, uh, yeah. and, and watching them week after week, after week, after week, maybe that has something to do with it. But going into this season, there's a lot of debate. There's like four or five running backs that people have clustered at the top and, and a lot of people, you know, they're staking their claim on one, but many people have them interchanged. Uh, do you have, do you include, uh, Edwards Alaire in that top group or is it just the other four Swift, Taylor Dobbins and acres for you? It's the other four. I have Edwards Alaire a little, I have him at number five. I like him, but part of the problem is when I saw five, seven, two Oh seven. Now he plays bigger than that. Yeah. But man, and he's tiny. Doesn't mean he can't be successful. We've seen smaller running backs be successful at the NFL level. But there's some concerns that I'm a little bit concerned. He played for in the most prolific offense in the history of college football with wide receivers galore, with probably the best quarterback prospect that I've seen in years. Is he a system runner? I have my concerns. Now, I have a second round grade on him. I love him but I can't put them with the other four. And I love big 10 backs. I grew up with Eddie George and Butch Wolfolk and, and all the great ones from the big 10. But so I understand exactly what you're saying. So then how do you have the, the top four? Who's your, who's your one? Oh, Jonathan Taylor, Jonathan Taylor. And, and I've got to be honest about this. I was reluctant at in the beginning of the process in January, he was not my number one because I've come to the conclusion that it's difficult to grade these Wisconsin backs because 
because of the scheme. And what I mean by that is you have to be a patient runner because Wisconsin runs so many traps. They bring guards, tackles, H-backs, tight ends, and they slam them on the other side of the formation. They bring the fullback behind the H-back and they slam them. They double team with the guards on the defensive end and then they blast the linebacker. That takes time. So when you watch Wisconsin and you watch the Badgers, I love their offensive line. It is one of the most poetic things I've ever seen. I love it. But what happens is their running backs look a little slow on film. So I've always wondered, then we have a long history, Monty Ball, Ron Dane, right, of Wisconsin running backs not transferring to the NFL. So I had my reservations. But then I saw the combine. My friends, when he does what he did athletically, 40-yard dash, three-cone drill, 20-yard shuttle, those were simply off-the-charts athletic ability. So when I match the production, only seventh player in the history of the game with 6,000 yards, back-to-back 2,000-yard seasons, and I match it with that athletic ability, holy shoot, he's my number one guy. Love him. Yeah, that uh, that Wisconsin line, it's, it's like a rhinoceros ballet out there. <laughs> it, it, I love watching the Badgers run block. It is simply amazing, but you do have to have patience as a runner behind it. Since so you, uh, I, I still have Dobbins up ahead of him, and I think Dobbins has been hurt uh, now that he can't have an in-person workout. Uh, I was pretty disappointed that he, he didn't do some of the stuff at the Combine. Um, you know, Dobbins has good size. He's, he's not as big as uh, Taylor. And I don't think he, he's going to be as fast as Taylor either. Um, but I think he's a lot shiftier than Taylor. Uh, he's not the shiftiest of the backs, but he's shiftier than Taylor. And I, I think that really sets him up to, to have some, uh, some bigger gains uh, on a more consistent basis, I think. I think, I think Taylor is going to you – know, if he gets in the right scheme, I, I, I agree with you. You have to separate that – that Wisconsin scheme from what's going to happen yeah. in the NFL. Yes. And, and it's easy to get, on, it, it's easy to get on a shitty team in the NFL that can't. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Yes. Well, since you misspoke and you said Jonathan Taylor won over JK Dobbins, I'm just uh, trying to, uh, to clarify here. Uh, what, uh, <laughs> do you worry at all about his, his workload and the fumbling issues that he is bringing into the NFL? Cause I know some people consider those legitimate questions. I, I, I'm by more into the fumbles than I do the workload. The workload doesn't really bother me as much, but how do you factor those into your analysis of Taylor? All right. So for, I'm going to digress. I have JK Dobbins number two, absolutely love him. So we'll come back to him a little bit later. Um, Look, obviously, any ball security issue is a challenge. But whenever I go back, I try to think about Tiki Barber. And if anyone remembers, if you're old enough like I am, Tiki Barber was benched at one time by Tom Coughlin in New York. And there was actually questions about would Tiki Barber remain Coughlin's running back because he was fumbling the football. Well, we all know that Tom Coughlin is an old school um, SOB, let me put it mildly, but he coached Tiki Barber up 
And Tiki Barber became an unbelievable NFL running back after that, and he rarely, rarely fumbled. I think you can coach ball security, not with everyone, but I don't think, I don't see Jonathan Taylor waving that ball out with one hand, like Walter Payton sweetness when he's got it in one hand grip, waving it around. I see some errors. I see a man with a lot of carries and linebackers popped it out. I'm not too worried. And I'm not worried about the workload. Yes, I get 968 carries. My friends, how many running backs go past five years? I'm not worried. I want my running back for three years. I'll worry about 2024 in April of 2024. <laughs> I like it. I like it. All right. So on uh Talk some love to me. Talk some J.K. Dobbins because he he is definitely the best back in this class. Let's not pretend like Taylor really is. No, I I do like my my argument on this class has been, and Dennis knows this. We we've both kind of said it. I, I don't think you can go wrong with any of these top four guys. If you've got the number one overall pick, it, for me, it's your preference. If you want Taylor, take Taylor. You want Acres, take Acres. If you want to, who am I forgetting? Not Dobbins. Uh, Swift. If you if you're yeah. a big fan of Swift, take Swift. It, it, for me, I don't think you can go wrong with any of them unless they land on like the Chicago Bears, in which case you're screwed. But regardless, I think <laughs> any of those guys are good to go. But what is it that you like about Dobbins' game? So you know that's a great point. I also landing spot is going to dictate how we rank these four ultimately, right? I love Dobbins, man. Five nine, two hundred and nine pounds. I'm happy with that. I think Ohio State had listed him at like 215 or 216. So he came in a little bit underweight, but 209 on a 5'9 frame is pretty god darn solid. Man, he has patience, explosion, acceleration, rare combination of strength and speed. I love Dobbins. And hey, I'm a Michigan fan. I don't want to like Buckeyes. But I have to give our listeners, and my draft grades are draft grades are not about what I like. All I saw, game after game after game, was J.K. Dobbins exploding this year, just exploding. Man, he was awesome, just simply awesome. Now I don't have a great explanation what happened with Mike Weber two years ago. <laughs> he was he was a thousand yard rusher as a freshman. Then he split and carries with Mike Weber, but he was a superstar last year. I think Dobbins in the passing game is so explosive in the modern NFL. You want to know where my dream spot with Dobbins be? Baltimore. Now they don't need him. They won't draft him. But man, would I love to see J.K. Dobbins with Lamar Jackson. That would be something. And he'd it's, be perfect for it. So let's let's talk Dobbins to, to Baltimore. You, what are your views on Justice Hill when he was coming out last year? Is it, is he just a satellite back then? Seemed like no, people were pretty high on him. No, I like Justice Hill, and that's why I don't think they would draft the Dobbins, right? Because right. I think they I think they feel that they have a good enough player in Justice Hill where Ingram still has treads on the tires, plus Lamar Jackson's going to gain 700. I don't think he'll get 1,000 again, but let's say he gets seven, you know, 700 yards. I don't think you need another running back. 
But I have J.K. Dobbins graded way higher than Justice Hill. And I think I had Justice Hill at number six, maybe number seven. I, I, I don't have it off the top of my head. But I think the Ravens are comfortable enough that they would not draft the cage J.K. Dobbins. I'm just dreaming that I think he would fit Jackson's skill set. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I can't disagree with that one. But so Akers seems to be the enigma in this group here. He he played behind what is almost inarguably the worst offensive line in college football with one of the worst quarterbacks in college football. Uh, there has been, you know, that the film nerds reviewed uh, Akers a couple, three weeks ago. And one of the things that kept popping up for, for Nick Whalen was uh, that he didn't seem to have great vision. Do you think that that's more a function of how bad the team was and he was trying to do too much? Or is that a legitimate issue with Akers? So, you know, that's a great question. And you were very kind. The Seminoles offensive line stunk. <laughs> like they were they were historically bad. And I dare anyone over the last three years name the quarterbacks that Cam Akers played with. Okay, with so DeAndre was, Francois. <laughs> there you go. I think we've said enough, right? <laughs> now, nothing to spurt. Look at the he's just not a, you know what I mean, a college yeah. level. Now, there is concern, but I so this is one of those perplexing problems. That's why I have a second round grade, not a first. Is it, is his vision because his offensive line was so bad that he can't trust the blocking scheme to develop? So what happened was he's looking to bounce plays or he's expecting a hole to open based on the play call on the backside, but his offensive front side guard gets blown up. So it looks like his vision isn't good. But it's really because of the poor teammates around him. I don't have a 100% answer. I think it's correctable in a good offensive scheme. At 5'10", 217 pounds, with a good offensive coordinator who coaches him up and puts him in a gap scheme. He's not a zone runner. I don't necessarily want him in space all afternoon. I want him in a gap scheme, let him pound it, and let him read his blocks. Yeah, so you think in a zone scheme, uh, he'll suffer kind of like Henderson did last year? Yeah, I think so. That's a great question because Henderson needs to kind of be coached up, right? And that's what happened. So I think Cam Akers, because we don't know if his vision's elite, and that's just on film, so there's some subjectivity, right? But if he has below average vision, I don't want him in his zone scheme because zone scheme demands one cut ability and excellent vision. Fair enough. So in your opinion, who's the best pure runner in this class? I think I know where you're going to go with it, though. I think it's Jonathan Taylor. I really do. I think Jonathan Taylor, look, it, I've been doing this for seven years. In my seven years of grading running backs, Saquon Barkley is the only one I have graded higher, and he's on par with Ezekiel Elliott coming out of the Buckeyes. I actually yeah. agree with you, too, so. 
I mean, I think he's a great player. I really do. So who's the best receiving back? Somebody who's going to step right into, you know, a, a 70 target season like Naheem Hines did a couple of years ago. DeAndre Swift. He, oh, to me, okay. is the best. I think he's the best route runner. I think he's got the best hands. I think he's an incredible. I, I wanted him on the Falcons. I thought, man, with that passing game, I think you could have plugged him in. He could have had 70 receptions as a rookie, maybe only had 100 carries. Hey, it still might happen, but you do have this Todd Gurley monkey wrench right now. But, man, I think DeAndre Swift coming out of the backfield, get him in space, one-on-one with linebackers, one-on-one with safeties, 5'8", 212, smooth, outstanding leg drive. He can make the first tackler miss, and then he has the long speed, my friends. He takes it to the house. I love DeAndre Swift in that scenario. You uh, with with your doubts on Cam Akers, and you saying that you have uh, Ceh there at five. Are those two closer than the other three in this class? Like, do you have it Taylor, Dobbins, Swift, and then a little bit of a step off before you get to Akers, and then another step off before Edwards Hilaire, or is Cam Akers still kind of right up there with those top three? Ah, so I would put Akers more from a prospect, not how their style or anything like that. But I have three people in the next bucket. And I'm not going to tell you the third because I know the next question coming up. But I have Akers, Zolaire, and a sixth player in my second bucket, all with second-round grades. Is it Keyshawn Vaughn? It is not Keyshawn Vaughn. It is A.J. Dillon, my brother. Oh, God, no, not an A.J. Dillon truther. Okay, tell me why. (laughs) So I I love the film study. So, But I know film study is subjective. I'll be the first. And I love watching film. And I, you know, my files are based on film, but I really try to balance film, production, athletic ability. To me, it's a three-legged stool, and you have to put all three legs on the stool, and I'm not convinced one is necessarily more important than the other. So the first part, I loved A.J. Dillon on film. Loved watching him at Boston College grinding and running in the ACC. So I love that. Two, the production was there over his career. Twice he logged 1,500-yard seasons. Immediate ACC Offensive Rookie of the Year and freshman All-American and first-team All-ACC in 2017. Gets hurt as a sophomore, but he still had 1,000 yards rushing. Bam. Came back last year. First team all ACC, third team all American, another 1,500-yard season. So what do I have now in my little portfolio? Film work, love it. Production profile, positive. 5.2 yards a carry, 4,382 career rushing yards. Yes, he's not a pass catcher. I get it. Only 21 receptions. But man, when he went to the combine, and I see a man, 6'0", 247 pounds, with those dancing feet running around in a three-cone drill, 7.19, 40-yard dash, 4.53. This young boy is moving. How many safeties are going to want to come up and hit this young man? Now, he's a gap runner. Again, like Akers, you throw him in his zone, 
you throw him in a spread offense, four receiver set, you're making a mistake. You put him in a gap, let him run, let him pound, and I have a dream. He ends up in Pittsburgh. Love A.J. Dillon. The three-legged stool presents itself as a second-round grade. I really like him in the right system. Does he compare favorably to Jordan Howard? Better, worse? Not I think same no, type? That's a good, you know, Jordan Howard fell a ton. And I think I had Jordan Howard number six coming out. I could be wrong because, you know, you do all these years rankings. But I liked him. Now, he fell absurdly low, right? Wasn't he a fifth-round pick, something like that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he was a better prospect than that. I'll say this. As far as a prospect is concerned, I think A.J. Dillon's a little bit better than Jordan Howard. But I like Jordan Howard coming out of Indiana. Yeah, I drafted Howard in my first ever dynasty uh, uh, rookie draft that when I took over an orphan. I got him in the middle of the second round. Yeah. In a 20-team league. Oh, well, that's a, now in a 20-team league. That is gold, brother. Gold. I, I know. I, I was very pleased. <laughs> yeah. So is A.J. Dillon the, your one RB prospect that you think no one's talking about that you absolutely love? That's what I was going to say, but I'll give you another. Because okay. I know we like we like to help listeners, right? And I just love talking football. What a, I got nothing else to do but talk with football right now. I love it. Joshua Kelly, UCLA. Okay. I have him at my number nine. I know I'm higher than most. And I get it. But again, remember how we were talking about narrative? I think because he went to an FCS level school, because he wasn't the most highly graded high school prospect. I think people write a narrative around a young man and they don't want to break from that narrative. But his senior bowl workouts and his combine illustrate that this young man has much better athletic ability than I anticipated. Now he's 5'10 and 212, but man, that three cone drill, 40 yard dash, 20 yard shuttle, they are off the hook. Now, what I'm impressed, he transferred from UC Davis. Do you know the Bruins didn't even offer him a scholarship? This young man walked on to the campus and earned a job. In the beginning, Chip Kelly didn't even want to give him the job. He sat on the bench like the first five games. I believe the Bruins were either 0-4, 1-5, and and somehow, someway, Chip Kelly finally gave Joshua Kelly the ball 13 times a game, and he exploded. Now, you look at the past two years, consecutive 1,000-yard seasons. Now, it's difficult to grade people in a Chip Kelly offense because it's kind of a strange running game. It's not your typical game. But the athletic ability is there. The size is there. He's a north-south downhill runner. He's tough between the tackles. And he has very good vision and balance. I like Joshua Kelly a lot. Yeah, that was not someone I was expecting you to uh, to bring up there, but I like it. I like it. I like the call. All right, so let's talk about some of the, uh, the Debbie guys. Go ahead. No, I was going to say in the right system, given some time to grow, Joshua Kelly could really have a nice career ahead of him. 
Where where's one spot you'd love to see him land? Atlanta. Okay. All right. I I really like to see. I want to see him in a position where he does not have to immediately carry the offense and they have playmakers around him. Because when you put him in space and you allow him to have, you know, maybe break one tackle, I think he could be very dynamic. So I, I have Kelly currently ranked at RB14. Am I too low on him? I think you are, but don't, you know, I, I would look at, I'm not sure who you have over him, but I would think a more, maybe a 12 range. I really, really like him, but that's just me. I really like him. I don't have Dylan over him. (laughs) Oh, okay. Now that one, I might say something, but it's your podcast. All right. Let's talk about Vern Vern Maine over at dynasty nerds. He's working on a, 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 a tape score uh for dynasty nerds and, and he was really surprised in how uh that how well dylan performed in the tape based on what his expectations were so you know there may oh. be something there yeah it, it let, again remember how we were talking about cam Akers? there's no quarterback at boston college and he's playing some nasty defenses in the acc the acc is a good conference very underrated now, obviously, the SEC is better, and I think the Big Ten is better. But I think the ACC is the third best conference in the nation, and he dominated it. I love the film. All right, Debbie running backs. Let's get into it. I want to give a uh, little bit more time as we're running at about 115. So just give us a, give us your top guys. I imagine the first three, maybe even four, probably pretty chalky. But who do you got after that? Give us, give us your top whatever, however deep you want to go, 10, 12. You hit, it, you hit sure. us with it. All right, I'll, I'll I'll hit the chalk. Travis Etienne is obviously my number one. Chuba Hubbard is number two. Brees Hall of Iowa State is number three. Okay. We, I love Brees, Brees Hall. Najee Harris is number four. Now's when I get a little funky. Jorney Brown of Penn State is my number five. Absolutely love him. People... Watch the last five games of the year the Nittany Lions played, and they finally gave the ball to Brown. They stopped playing around. They stopped sharing the football. They gave it to Brown, and Penn State, oh, he was amazing. Then Zamir White at Georgia is my number six. Kylan Hill at Mississippi State is my number seven. Now, Master Teague at Ohio State's my number eight, but they just signed um, Trevor, oh, no, what's the kid from uh, Oklahoma? Trey Sermon. Simeon. Trey Sermon. Uh, Trey Sermon, which kind of scares me, but I still love the talent of Master Teague. I then have Max Borgi at number nine and Zach Charbonneau at number 10. And uh, Kenneth Gainwell is number 11. You just had to get the Michigan guy in the top 10, didn't you? Ah! <laughs> All right, well, I want to ask, okay, so here's a guy that I'm really high on that you did not mention, so I'm interested to get your opinion on him. What what are your thoughts on Jamar Jefferson out of Oregon State? Had that really good freshman year, kind of fell off last year, uh, but I think a lot of that had to do with him sharing the ball with Artavius Pierce. Are you not a fan of Jefferson? You need to see more out of him. What are your thoughts on him? So I am a fan, and I drafted him a ton last year in my college fantasy football leagues, and unfortunately he disappointed, but he's in my bucket in that 12 to 16 range. But I need to see more out of him. He's physically gifted, he's athletically gifted, and he can run the football. But I need in a Pac-12 
that is defensively challenged, I need him to have a big year this year. And I think this might be the year he could easily become a top 10 prospect. Yeah, I'm banking on it. I, I took him in a lot of leagues last year as well. I, I'm really hoping he kind of turns it around. He's definitely, if you're in a college league uh, and that you can trade for him, even in a Debbie league, I think his his window to buy is right now because I, I think he's going to to blow up. What are your thoughts on uh, on John Emery Jr.? We obviously, a lot of people thought he was going to come in and take over and be the LSU yeah, back last year. And then CEH comes in and does what he does. Now, really, that entire offense is moving on with Burrow leaving. Um, my goodness, why well, I'm not Chase, who Justin Jefferson leaves, Joe Brady leaves and goes back to the NFL. Do you think this is John Emery's chance to, to step up and be the running back we all thought he was going to be last year? I do think, hey, look, at the opportunity is there. Opportunity is knocking on the door. I loved watching what he did in high school. Now, I was surprised as anyone that Clyde Edwards-Alaire took the job from him. I had drafted um, John Emery in a couple of college fantasy football leagues. Obviously, had to cut him by week four. But this is his shot, right? I Look at the talents there from high school. Let's see if he can do it at the college level. I am very, very optimistic. All right, last one for me, and then I'll let Dennis kind of hit you with any questions he's got. Why so low on Max Borgi? I know a lot of people, I have him in my top five. Uh, a lot of people really love him from what he was able to do with that Mike Leach offense. Now with Leach moving on to Mississippi State, maybe really giving Borgi a chance to prove how good of a runner he is, and I do think he can be a very good runner. So a lot of people are very high on him. Why are you so much lower on him than most of uh, everybody else? So first is the Mike Leach system, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, how many running backs have come out of Mike Leach's system and become NFL stars? So that's one. And right now what I see more is a dynamic pass catcher in space. I think he's got a little bit of James White and um, Duke Johnson in him. I really do. He's super dynamic. But what I've got to see is I've got to see this year, can he run the ball between the tackles and can he carry the pigskin 20 times a game? Maybe I'm a little old school in the backfield. I still like my running backs who can run it between the tackles. So if he proves to me this year that he can carry the football 200 times a game, the vast majority between the tackles, I'll move him up the rankings, but I've got to see it first. Yeah, I haven't scouted Borgie, Borgie much at all. Uh I, I don't know. He, he just, he, in, in my scouting of him, he hasn't, I, he just doesn't seem to jump off the, the screen at me. He, he uh, doesn't to me either. I agree. Like he's really good, but he's not. Wow. Right. And, and I'm just kind of looking for, for somebody you know to go next level there. Uh, we'll see, you know, he's not, I, I'm not as deep into Debbie as you and Matt are. Uh, unless it's a Ohio State, I, I'm not following it too closely uh, <laughs> at this point. We'll see what happens next year when I break down and get into a Debbie league. That'll all change. <laughs> but, I hope uh, you do, and they're fun, brother. Oh, it, they look. You know, I saw a campus to Canton league going on. Some friends putting it together, and I was like, man, I'm, I was so close. So oh, it'll change your world, buddy. I'm telling you, you got to get in one. It's the, it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. I, you know, honestly, I think so. First, it was college fantasy football made me a better, like, grader of college talent and really learn everyone. But Debbie has taken me to the next level. 
Yeah, I mean, and, and the way I try to explain it to everybody is if you like watching college football on Saturdays, it just gives you so much more to watch and look out for, and you start to learn the players so much sooner. Like, that's why I've made some of the trades that I've made to get future draft picks because I know who's likely coming out in the 2021 class, 2022 class. It just it gives you that little bit more heads up. Like, I know, Dennis, you spend a lot of time once the season ends studying these guys because, as you said, you pay so much attention to Ohio State, but... Knowing these guys even before then, it's just it's so much fun. It gives you so much more to watch on Saturdays, in my opinion. It's it's my favorite day to watch football. Love the NFL, but but college is where it's at for me. Oh, I love the college, man. It's the best. All right, Dennis, you got anything else for John, or do you want to let no. him get back to his afternoon? We, or night, I no, guess, because we, we've kind of eaten can, up a lot of time. We can all head into our evening. All right. <laughs> I do. I know we talked a little bit about this uh, off air, John, but uh, I'd love to have you back on so we can talk wide receivers and tight ends. I knew it was going to go a long time because of how loaded this class is, and we haven't even gotten to probably the deepest part of this class, which is the wide receivers. So I'd love to be able to get you back on before we get to the NFL draft, but really appreciate you jumping on. Plug everything you do here again really quick because you do do a great amount of work, and and the YouTube videos are fantastic. So where can everybody find those things if they want to get in-depth look at these uh these co- not just uh, the NFL draft picks but college players as well to kind of get a head uh, heads up above your league mates. Absolutely. First so first I got to say thank you. It's I've loved talking football tonight with you gentlemen. It's just spectacular. So first you can follow me on Twitter at gridiron skull 91. I could not afford the A and the R, so it's gridiron skull 91. Follow me there. All of my written profiles are up on footballdiehards.com. They are free. Just go to their website. This is the seventh year publishing my profiles up there. You'll have my statistical model that I look at, as well as my film breakthrough, the written, and what the young man has accomplished at the college level. And then you just mentioned it, my new endeavor this year, dynastydraftroom.com. My teammate, Matt, we break down the players. Each video is between nine and ten minutes. With analysis and film study, check us out on DynastyDraftRoom.com or available on YouTube. Right on. Well, John, seriously, thank you so much for taking so much time out of your night to to spend some time with us. And I I look forward to getting a chance to talk to you again before the NFL draft. Uh, Stay safe out there and have a great night. Thank you. And I can't wait to talk wide receivers, my friends. Later. Hey, folks, don't forget to wash your dang hands. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Prepare for glory. I don't know if you got your popcorn ready. Do you got your popcorn ready? I came out the wall line already. And he's hit the end zone for an unbelievable touchdown. I would be honored if you played football for this team. Throw it up above his head. They can't jump with me. Golly. Oh, they tackle him at the 40-yard line. Who can make a play? I can't. Who can make a break? <laughs>